0: Love Talk Radio.
1: everyone, and welcome to the King Jordan Radio Show Season 5, Episode 27 Here we are on May 4th, 2017 Tonight should be a very interesting show As we'll look back at the Menendez Brothers 27 years uh, later Also, uh, we will um, talk about Happy Days star, Aaron Moran, who only uh, uh, lived to 56. So sad. Uh, Michael Slager, the North Carolina police officer, pleaded guilty. Very sad situation uh, for those of you following Baby Chance. Uh, He will, uh, his father who did some terrible things to him, uh, will be serving 45 years. And a lot of you have told me uh, that uh, you don't think that's even just. Uh, So uh, we'll talk about that. Okay, Uh, in the uh, top of the next hour, we are scheduled to be with – Phoenix defense attorney Jason Lamb So he will be catching up with us um, At the uh, top of the hour Also right now Let's bring in He is a legal analyst A New York defense attorney In fact if you need an attorney You could call him at any time Ladies and gentlemen Welcome back to the show Alex Sanchez joins us Hi Alex how are you
2: Jordan, how's it going? And uh, It's great to be back and get a chance to interact with your audience. And I look forward to a great show tonight, as always.
1: Yeah, a lot of things going on. And, uh, wow, let's start with the uh, Happy Day star, Aaron Moran, that died at 56. There's some sound, and we'll talk on the other side. Good evening, everybody. I'm Peter
3: Dow.
0: And I'm Andrea Fuji, and tonight for Elsa Ramon. We begin tonight with breaking news. Monday,
4: Monday, happy Thursday, Wednesday, happy Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend
0: comes. Actress Erin Moran was found dead. The former child actress was best known for playing Joni Cunningham on the hit TV show Happy Days.
4: Take
5: 9s Christy Pajardo is live in the newsroom with a look back at the former sitcom star whose real life was hit with hard times. Christy.
0: Yeah, Peter and Andrea, tonight condolences are coming in from Moran's former co stars. A dispatcher says late this afternoon they got a 911 call in Corden, in Indiana about an unresponsive woman. When help arrived, it was too late. Moran was already dead.
6: Greek Moran Unlimited was born Rainier. in
0: Burbank, skyrocketed to stardom when she landed the role of Joni Cunningham on Happy Days in the 70s. She was just 14 at the time and became a household name. The show was such a hit, it ran for 11 seasons and Moran eventually got her own spin-off along with Scott Baio. The show was called Joni Loves Chachi. She also appeared on The Love Boat, The Bold and the Beautiful and Murder She Wrote and ventured into reality TV in 2008 on Celebrity Fit Club. She may have had a charmed early life, but her later years were plagued by hardship. In 2012, she was reportedly homeless after her mother-in-law kicked her out of her trailer home in Indiana due to hard partying. Tonight, co-star Henry Winkler, who played the Fonz on the hit show, tweeted, Oh, Aaron, now you will finally have the peace you wanted so badly here on Earth. Rest in it serenely now. Too soon. Fellow former child star Aaron Murphy, known as Little Tabitha on Bewitched, also tweeted, So sad to share that my friend Aaron Moran has passed away. Rest in peace, sweet girl. Actor Willie Ames tweeted, I've known Erin Moran since childhood doing Gunsmoke, more recently as a troubled soul, soul. so saddened to hear of her passing. Rest in peace, Erin. Hugs and kisses. And just minutes ago, director Ron Howard tweeted this. He played Moran's older brother, Richie, on Happy Days. Such sad, sad news. Rest in peace, Erin. I will always choose to remember you on our show, making scenes better, getting laughs, and lighting up TV screens. Officials in Indiana say an autopsy will be performed to, de- to determine the exact cause of death. Moran was 56 years old. Back to you.
1: Alex Sanchez is, is a uh, very uh, troubling star. First of all, uh, reportedly she was homeless in 2012. Uh, other reports uh, had her uh, doing really bad as a lot of child stars uh, that uh, grow up in paying and on television, um, too. Uh, what, so what's your take on this situation uh, with this uh, former star?
2: You know, I mean, what can you say? It's, uh, it's very pathetic. You know,
1: I always wonder what
2: happens when the curtain comes down. You know, people have their moment of of fame and, and glory and, and recognition, but at some point the curtain came down on her as it does on other people. And I've always been very curious about the journey that these people take once that curtain does go down. Some people end up making, you know, a nice life for themselves. Some people go into business. Some people continue in other areas of uh, the arts or they continue to progress in their field. But others, because of their own challenges, maybe physical challenges, maybe mental challenges, maybe uh, addiction-related challenges, somehow they veer off and they go in a direction that nobody expected. And they they end up like Aaron Moran, drinking heavily of drugs and living in cheap motels. And, you know, when it all is said and done, it, 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 it was very pathetic because... She yeah. achieved, she achieved quite a bit of success, but all that success could not prevent her from this fantastic fall. So it was pretty pathetic. That's my feelings about it.
1: Well, and look what happened uh, with Robert Blake. Uh, a lot of people uh, think he uh, murdered his wife. Of course, he was uh, found not guilty, but found liable in the civil case. That's another uh, He. Uh, I, I didn't really see him before my time. I don't know if you ever saw Mr. Blake um, and if you did well, I, uh, never, I yeah, never,
2: you know, no? never met Robert Blake but he made like one of the greatest movies that was ever made. One of the greatest crime movies called In Cold Blood. And in that movie, he he uh, played the part of a murderer. The two guys, this, yeah, two guys decided to go and and, and raid a farmhouse in you know in Indiana somewhere, and uh, they ended up murdering the whole family. And he was absolutely superb in that movie. Superb. If you like dark, brutal movies, this is the movie to see. So he had talent, and he did some TV shows, and he was a talented guy. But, but obviously, you know, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, you could be very talented, and you could be very troubled. And right. they're not mutually exclusive. You could be both at the same time. I mean, just look at Bill Cosby, very talented, funny guy, but he's got all these demons that have, uh, you know, circulating in, in his in his soul.
4: Next you month will be and you
2: can say, yep. say this about O.J. Simpson. I mean, you can say this about about a lot of people. And you yes. can say it about Robert Blake. And somehow he got mixed up and he was found guilty in a civil case, not the criminal case, but a civil case of committing this murder against this woman. And she may have been a trouble Bonnie person.
1: Blake, right? But
2: when you uh or you cross the line into murder, there's something very wrong that is done on within your own soul
1: yeah, i totally totally uh, uh agree with you hundred percent okay uh so uh let's get into this uh is disturbing details with this baby Chance. Um, here's some sound, and we'll talk on the other time.
0: Major update tonight in the case of missing baby Chance. Both parents of the nine-week-old baby are now charged with murder of the infant. Fox Tampa Bay reporter Evan Axelbank has been following the story. He's live in Tampa. Evan, what's the latest?
6: Well, Greta, you remember that the grandparents' susp- uh, suspicions were that Kristen and Joe, the boy's parents, knew what happened to him. And we have now learned that, you remember, they begged for Kristen and Joe, the boy's parents, to come forward and tell deputies what happened. Well, we learned today that Kristen, the boy's mother, did, in fact, do that. She told deputies that they dug their own son's shallow grave. It's just unbelievable. On September 16th, this all started. There was an argument between Joe and Kristen, the boy's parents. Now, during that argument, the father beat the baby to death, according to the admissions by the boy's mother. Now, at that point, they have a decision to make. Do we call 911 or not? They decided not to call 911 because she said, I don't want to lose you both. Obviously, knowing that Joe would be in quite a bit of trouble. So, their decision was to put the baby in a crib and in the closet for eight days while the boy decomposed. Now, after those eight days, Kristen started to complain of the smell. Obviously, it had been there for so long. So, they wrapped the baby in plastic bags. And according to her admissions, they dug a shallow grave 13 miles from their home and buried baby Chance. Now, on September 27th, we remember that they fled uh, the state. They went to South Carolina and they went to Georgia, in their words, to start a new life. Now, during that trip, they'd been in a car crash. They'd run into some people without the baby, and they lied to deputies saying that the baby died in a car crash, that they had uh, given the baby away to somebody who would rob them. At the end of the day, they were taken into custody for uh, custody for child neglect. The baby, Greta, was reported missing on October 4th, and Kristen told deputies eventually, after all this national attention that this story got, that she and the boy's father did, in fact, bury the baby. They knew what happened. Remember, Greta, they found blood in the home. All the story that they had told deputies just wasn't adding up. And finally, according to the documents that we got today, Kristen cracked, she told deputies where Baby Chance was. They dug him up, and they found him only in his diaper.
0: Evan, I don't know who's worse—the mother or the father. It's like what a what a horrible story that yeah. poor that poor well, infant so Anyway, Evan, uh, thank you, for, thank you for the latest, Evan.
1: Tragedy uh, in all uh, all the way uh, with this uh, father. Uh, when you read this story and heard about it, what did you think, uh, Alex?
2: What I think? I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. You know, when I was looking at that story, I, I looked at a picture of that baby. The, the kid looked like an angel to me. He was a beautiful yes. little boy. He almost looked like a miniature man that was a baby. Yes. A beautiful kid, though. I mean, you know, who on earth would beat and murder a nine-week-old baby? What? How dead is your soul? How far are you removed from humanity that you would engage in that type of behavior and It wasn't just one person right he's just as culpable as he is because if she was there and she's covering up for him, and then she doesn't want to call the police, so she doesn't stop him from beating her, beating the baby, and then decides you know let's just put him in the closet like he's you know. The, uh, dirty linen or something like that it's absolute it's astonishing it's astonishing that there are people in this world that act like this and you know i i'm i'm a defense lawyer i defend people all the time i've defended people like this but you know from a citizen You've defended point uh, of blue, murdering a murdering child i i've defended people that have severely hurt children and severely have beaten children yes and it's, a, it's it's not a fun practice, believe me. And right. the typical type of defense that you may have in a case like this is, well, first of all, did the person do it? That's number one. But assuming there's a lot of evidence that they did it, because quite often in cases like that, these people have made a lot of admissions of guilt. The next step after that is you want to bring as much information as you can about the mental health of the parents and you know, whether they have been a whole history of of uh, mental health concerns, whether they're on medication or drugs, you do everything you can to try to, move, you know, bring some type of defense to mitigate the penalty in this case. That's what defense attorneys do. But from a citizen's point of view, I don't even want to hear that. As far as I'm concerned, these people are monsters. And when you said 45 years wasn't enough, I'm with you on that one. When you start hurting kids... Yeah, a lot kids, of
1: people saying that.
2: Oh, you've crossed lines. You've crossed some very serious lines. And um, why should this guy even have any opportunity to see the light of day? What, this kid didn't experience pain because he's a baby? People think that. Well, he's a baby. No, he experienced pain just like you would experience pain. This guy took sure. a, like a rag and shoved it down the kid's throat. You don't think that hurt? You don't think the kid was choking? Imagine if that was you. No, oh, I, I don't have sympathy. No, I don't have sympathy for this guy. He's got to go. He's got to go.
1: Well, obviously, somebody has to defend him. And Yeah. Uh,
2: and I, I think that is, you know, in our, in our system of justice, everybody's entitled to a defense, and I'm all for it. You know, let him provide the best defense he can, and if he could, he could somehow mitigate, you know, the uh, punishment. You know, all power to the defense attorney. But looking at it from a citizen's point of view, you know, I, I, I'm tired of hearing it. I want this guy to pay some very serious penalty, and I don't want him to see the light of day again. It's as simple as that. You
1: know Very fair. Okay, uh, you did uh, mention that uh, Bill O'Reilly would uh, wind up uh, leaving Fox, and you proved to be right. So, uh, why don't you uh, talk about that a little bit? And, well, you know, uh, you, you know, called.
4: When,
2: yeah, the last time we did a show, this Bill O'Reilly was still, you know, on the air. And there were these accusations coming out. And I told you and everybody else on the air, he's finished. You know, he, he's basically he, he's basically turned a corner at this point. He's, he's heading down. You didn't believe me. And I don't think a lot of your, your viewers believed me. They thought I was just, you know, it was just a lot of bluster. And I resent that, you know.
4: <laughs> 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 now, the fact of the
2: matter is, is that... Uh, You know, I I was able to see something, and uh, it caught fire, and you went down the tubes. Now, I have another prediction that I'm going to make, and I know some of the viewers aren't going to like this, but this is a prediction. It's not because I like or dislike the person, but the tea leaves that I'm reading tell me that Donald Trump at some point in the future is going to resign from being the president of the United States. Now, why am I saying that? I think
1: everybody would be happy yeah. I think most Why am I saying it is
2: I'm saying that because number 1 I think the Russians have a lot of dirt on him remember he was going to Russia for a long period of time before he's president I'm sure they got tapes of him they got secret recordings of him they got documents this guy's got he's got some uh, his fingerprints are everywhere if not worse and they they will release it at the right right time through the proper channels to get even with him if they don't like what he's doing. Number two, he's got so many financial issues going on that he's he's becoming very sloppy. You know? And number three, yes. he looks like he's growing very tired. He was happy as a businessman. He could tell everybody what to do. He can't tell everybody what to do. He feels claustrophobic in the White House. I think that at some point, the pressure's Going to increase to such a degree that something's going to happen where his conduct is going to become more and more aberrational. I think Mike Pence is going to end up being the president of the United States.
1: Really? So he'll take well, over for him after yeah, he uh, resigns. You think he's going to Pence resign? Ultimately,
2: I think yeah. I think he's going to get caught up in something, and I think that the tides are going to turn against him. And I think he's going to have no choice but to resign. And he's going to, be, he's going to be relieved because I really get the feeling that he doesn't really want to be president of the United States. He likes his own he's little a, world. That remember that day when he
1: was elected? He was yes. already planning uh, a loss because he said uh, words to the effect of uh, – we're going to have a solid count to just to make sure everything's on the up and up. And a lot of people took that as uh, a defeat. So yeah. I think a part of him wasn't expecting to win. Didn't expect to win.
2: Oh, No, I from what you were reading, I don't think he was expecting to win. I don't think most people expected him to win. I mean, I was, I was him. sitting down in front of the TV, and I was astonished at what I saw. But he ended up winning. He's the president of the United States. But I think that he's got a lot of troubled issues that are lurking in the background. And he doesn't have enough insight. He has no filter. And he doesn't have enough insight to realize that this is going to be the cause of his downfall. But at some point, he's going to realize. At some point he's going to be made to understand That you know what it's all over But the shouting And he's going to resign That's my prediction Will I be wrong? Well that remains to be seen But let me tell you something The one professor There was a professor in this country Who was the only professor that predicted Donald Trump was going to win His name was I think Lickman Right? Well this professor After I predicted Trump was going to resign He released a book And what did he say in the book? He said Trump is going to end up losing his presidency. He's going to be impeached. So either way, whether he's impeached or he, whether he resigns in the face of impeachment, Trump's, Trump's days are numbered.
1: Oh, I definitely uh, agree with that. Can you see some maniac? Uh, I know there's a lot of protection, uh, like not unlike in 1981. When John Lennon was killed But can you see somebody try And knock off the the president
2: Well there's a lot of nuts out there And I sure hope somebody, somebody like that Does does not <laughs> You know make any such attempt To do that Because that's not the way we operate in this country Or we should not operate in this country You know we operate In a democratic forum And uh, that's that's my hope But you know, you know, we have a lot of guns in this country, and I'm not necessarily against, you know, people lawfully having guns as long as they're licensed and they're not, you know, have a history of serious mental illness. But there's an awful lot of guns in this country, an awful lot of weapons circulating, and I mean powerful guns. And it, I mean, it wouldn't be a terrible. Uh, I, I can I can easily see some lunatics, if if they wanted to. You know, putting together a you know a cadre of people for the purposes of committing some atrocity like this. I hope it never happens, but it's not outside the realm of possibility in view of all the uh, the guns that are circulating in this country. But I think it's probably unlikely because the most likely scenario is that um, the people that, are, that really have access to guns or are interested in guns are probably you know mostly Donald Trump supporters. Let's face it. You know, but yeah. uh, all you need is a, all true. you need is a nut. All you need is a one nut out there. You know. Let's okay, hope it
1: uh, let's break it to the program. Uh, I don't know if you uh, ever did a program with him. Uh, I, don't, I don't think on my show, but he uh, covered the Jody Arias uh, case from A to Z. Uh, he was all over the uh, HLN and CNN. Um, he is a awesome defense attorney. Could, uh, just got a, a great uh, win uh, recently. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to uh, King Jordan Radio with the one and the only defense attorney, Jason Lamb. Good evening, Jason. How are you? Hey,
7: Jordan. You know, I, I appreciate your intro, but all I was hearing, you know, as I was coming on the line is all it takes is just one nut, and then you bring me in. Was, was, was there something uh, going on there I didn't know about? <laughs> <Do> that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not You, you know, know uh, Alex?
7: <laughs> yeah, Alex do and do I do do have like talked before. You but, you know, I want to pick up on something where Alex left off. I want to dive right in. And, you know, I, I live out in Arizona, and we are a very Gun-friendly state. You know, I don't know that necessarily that you have to be a Trump supporter to be, uh, you know, into guns. I will tell you that I do not have an arsenal, but I have guns, and I'm not exactly a fan of Mr. Trump. Um, You know, from our perspective, at least out here, and, and let me say that I've prosecuted gun cases, I've defended gun cases. You know, it, it's it's a matter of perspective. It's about reasonableness. It's about training. Um, so, you know, with all due respect, Alex, I think it's more of a you know a lot of shades of gray. Um, and, and I don't think we can necessarily cookie cutter this issue. And this is one of the you know driving issues that we see so much in the current presidential administration. Um, it's very polarizing. But I I think like on a lot of the other issues a lot of people are more in the middle. They're more centrist, and I consider myself one of them. um, Simply because you have firearms does not mean that you're going to shoot up a movie theater or that you are supportive of automatic weapons or things of that nature. So, just want to throw that out there, you know, throw a little gasoline on the fire as I uh, spend my first two minutes on the show tonight.
2: (laughs) Well, actually, I, I agree with you, Jason. I think most gun owners are Responsible people As a matter of fact, my daughter Was living out in Seattle for a while When she was working at uh, at One of the large companies over there She went and got herself a gun You're allowed to get guns And she was walking around with a with a gun And she would, you know, hold it for protection She had it at home I think you had to go and, and take courses and, and license, you know, uh, safety courses That's really my only issue When it comes to guns And maybe as a gun owner You can explain it to me Shouldn't anybody that is going to buy a gun have to prove that they understand the safety of a gun and all the the current rules and regulations about using guns? I don't understand those jurisdictions that let anybody just walk up to a counter and say, here's my license, I'm buying a gun, and walk out with a gun. That doesn't seem to make any kind of sense to me.
7: Well, I think you raised two different but very valid issues. Number one, any person who is responsible with firearms is going to understand how a gun works. They are going to understand the do's and don'ts and some of the legal requirements. Now, cash and carry is a whole other story, and I don't think that's um, particularly the norm. Um, But what I will tell you, if you were out here and you were in the grocery store, it you know there's still some wild west leanings we're pretty civilized by now but there's a lot of uh, times you'll see someone carrying openly and in arizona and this kind of bothers me you can actually carry concealed without a permit now i do have a permit even though i don't need it anymore it's really good to level coffee tables with when you have that one leg that's like a sixteenth of an inch off and that it you know it you know allows you to skip the waiting period and carry in other states with reciprocity but from a practical point of view, yes, if you have a gun, you need to know uh, the rules. You need to handle it safely. But, again, th- that's just theory and common
2: sense. That doesn't always translate to reality, as we know in our world. By the way, Jason, if you ever come to New York, don't bring a gun, you know, if, unless you have a license. If you get caught with a gun in New York, let's say you have a gun. In, it could be an unloaded gun in your right pocket and let's say one bullet in your, in, your, in your luggage, that's considered a loaded gun. If Alex, let me ask a you a question. Gun, well, what if I played, if I played for the Giants? What if I played for the
7: Giants? I was in a club, and I had a gun, and I accidentally shot myself in the leg and got two years in prison. What yeah. would you call me?
2: Yeah. You'd call me you know Plexico what?
7: Burris. That's what you'd call yeah. me.
2: But you know what? <laughs> so you're chill. facing three and a half years minimum just for possessing the gun. No prior record. You could be a sterling character, three and a half years, which I think is insane. It's absolutely yeah. insane. Plaxico, Plaxico shot himself in a club. I think he should have got more than two years because he obviously took out the gun. I don't know if he was playing with it, but a gun went off. Somebody could have gotten killed. Well,
7: it's in all fairness, we don't know what happened. He might have been playing with himself, grabbed for something, and you know, got the trigger. There you go. He's lucky it's, yeah. his, it's only his thigh that he shot.
1: That's a good point. Okay, anyway, 27 years ago, we had an unspeakable crime, at least uh, uh, in a lot of people's minds. Here's some sound, and let's talk on the other side. ABC
8: News exclusive, an unprecedented look at a murder case that rocked a generation. Two Beverly Hills brothers, Eric and Lyle Menendez, convicted of killing their wealthy parents in a grisly double murder. It's been nearly three decades ago. It's a case that our Terry Moran has covered, you've covered this from the very
9: start. I have, a long time ago. And you know, Robin, guys, it's a case that has haunted me all these Mm. years since I covered it as a young reporter. One of those that just grabbed a hold of me and never let go. The Menendez brothers' trial, at the time it was called the crime of the century when it happened. And it had all the ingredients, murder in Beverly Hills, a family shattered in the most horrifying way. And as the case unfolded, shocking accusations of what was really going on in that home. The victims, Jose Menendez, a Cuban immigrant to this country, who'd made good, becoming a corporate chieftain on both coasts and ultimately rising to become a Hollywood power broker, and his wife, Kitty, who seemed an all-American wife and mom. And they seemed to have it all. Their sons, Lyle, 21 at the time of the crime, and Eric, 18, good-looking, outgoing young guys, star tennis players. They had the brightest of futures ahead. But behind those closed doors, the Menendez family was a cauldron of lies, and secrets and on August 20th 1989 in Beverly Hills it all boiled over Jose and Kitty Menendez brutally murdered and then shockingly Lyle and Eric their sons arrested for the crime and in this ABC News documentary we gather so many of the voices of the participants you'll hear them including for the first time in 20 years we hear from Lyle Menendez by phone from prison about that night
4: my name is Lyle Menendez I've been
7: in prison for 26 years I am the kid that did kill his parents, and no river of tears has changed that, and
4: no amount of regret has changed
5: it. Beverly Hills
3: is a quiet town. Even the business district kind of folds up at 7 o'clock. We average two murders a year, and really don't know what you're in for when you get a murder call.
4: Uh, what's the problem? I'm trying to kill my parents. they
3: shot? Twelve shots in the middle of Beverly Hills on a Sunday night, and no one calls the police. We're waiting at the house. No one
9: shows up,
1: and I, I still can't believe it.
3: I'm sitting on the stairs afterwards, thinking the police are going to be there in, in seconds. They got roving patrol. And people, many, many people did hear the shots. Many neighbors came in and said they heard all these shots, but nobody called because they just figured this is Beverly Hills. This doesn't happen in Beverly Hills.
0: So you called the police, but at that point, you had already decided.
3: We were very stunned, and we felt that um, we would go to jail, obviously. And, and we, it was a selfish reason to just not want to have to, to go through that. By this intersection, I could actually see the police tape and the police cars in front of Nenda's house. As we walked in the front door, the only thing I could really detect is the silence. And then in the back of the foyer was this uh, library family room, which is where the murder occurred. The television was on, so it was just a normal evening for them. Kitty was wearing white. She was covered in blood. Jose had a shotgun blast to the back of his head. It was uh, really horrendous.
0: When Jose and Kitty were found dead, the police didn't do what they normally do in a case like that. There are things that could have been done that night that would have proven that they were the killers. The murder weapons were in their cars. Nobody bothered to look.
2: At the time, we felt they were victims, and you're not gonna press them because their parents just got blown away.
4: I remember it was the morning after the murder. I pulled up to the house, and then all of a sudden, my car door slammed open, and Eric jumped in and scared the hell out of me. Frantically said to me that they needed my husband's legal help. I said, Eric, what's going on here? Well, he said, Uh, Mrs. Wright, my parents were murdered last night. And I said, what? He was not sad, not crying, no emotion whatsoever. Who would think of legal advice the, the day of your parents' murder? Unless you're guilty.
9: But the real issue in this case, of course, wasn't who did it. The Menendez brothers quickly confessed after they were arrested. The question is, why did they kill their parents? And what they said about that in court claims of a life of abuse including sexual abuse at the hands of their father that shocked the country triggered a national debate and one last thing that interview with Barbara walters back in nineteen ninety five that is the last time they saw each other and if the if the penal system works they will never see each other again
8: what is it like you said in the beginning that this is something that has stayed with you all of
9: these years covering it it, it was so emotional if you remember their their testimony about this their their claims that this family was actually a a toxic uh, cauldron that they lived in all those years. And to be uh, in in that room where they told the story of their lifetime of abuse, which many people didn't believe, some people did, it was it was haunting. It really was. And we're going to hear some things we haven't heard before. In the yes, indeed. Yes, right. indeed. It's,
8: right. it's good work. All right. Take care of that cold, Terry. <laughs> all right. Truth and Lies, the Menendez Brothers, airs tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern, right here.
1: Go with, uh, let me go with uh, th- 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 Jason. Uh, your take uh, before O.J. There were the Menendez brothers. When you hear that, what comes to mind? You know, Jordan. I, I think if we look back
7: kind of chronologically over some of the more shocking high-profile trials, you know, we have this then we have O.J., we, you know, we fast-forward ahead, we have Casey Anthony, we have... Uh, yeah, her. Um, and, and the trials have gotten more and more sensational, And I, but I think the, the, the crimes have become more and more gruesome, and the unthinkable yes. has become reality. I mean, you have people who, uh, you know, are, are the 1%, and there's some evil lurking there with a gruesome murder. And then the defense, basically to claim that they were being sexually abused by their parents as a justification, I mean, it was, it was shocking. And lo and behold, you know, as we sit here, you know, what, 27 years later, what, what was unspeakable, what was unimaginable, what we all heard through this trial, it's just another episode of Law and Order now.
1: It really is. So, did you, did you believe any of the uh, sexual molestation?
7: Well, it, the thing is, it wasn't so much up to me. It was up to uh, twelve people who clearly didn't, uh, and and that's why the brothers there were are two in, are be in Prison for the rest of their life.
1: There were two trials. If you remember, the first one they uh, they couldn't come to a verdict, and in the second one, uh, a lot more evidence was allowed in. Sure. At least that's what i felt.
7: Well, you know, people make self-serving claims all the time. Um, But but let's say for the sake of argument, and Alex weigh in with me, that even if someone is a victim of abuse, whether it's domestic violence, sexual abuse, does that justify a first-degree premeditated murder? Because – Look, we see it all the time with uh, battered spouse syndrome, intimate partner syndrome, uh, intimate partner abuse syndrome now, if you would, um, where things build up and fester over time where someone's abused and ultimately they kill. Um, Does it perhaps mitigate at times the circumstances? Sure. That mitigation typically happens within plea negotiations, but blasting someone with a shotgun... Um, you know, and any sort of premeditation that leads up to it, juries don't look real fondly upon that, no matter what the circumstances are.
2: Yeah, I mean, Alex? the only way it would the only way it would uh, possibly be justified is if the murder was, you know, contemporaneous with the sexual abuse. You know, in other words, if there was some, 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 somebody's raping somebody, and you know. Shortly thereafter, the person that was raped, you know, goes and gets a gun and shoots him dead. I mean, that may be justified at that point, maybe, you know. At least you have much more of an argument at that point. But this, this case, yeah. you know, it's highly questionable whether or not that ever happened, um, whether or not there was sexual abuse. But even if they were, I mean, that wasn't certainly wasn't the, the appropriate way to uh, resolve that that simmering issue. And what justification would there be for him killing the mother? They shot the mother, like, you know, multiple times in the knees, and the face. You know, this was brutal murder. And, you know, after they killed them, the brothers went and they bought Rolex watches, fast cars. They went on, you know, trips around the world. They were living a high life. They spent like a million dollars in six months living some fancy lifestyle. Anyway, there was one... Believe it or not, if you can consider this, I mean, you know, I, I found this almost amusing. Believe it or not, and I don't, you know, you may say, well, what about this entire story? Could somebody find amusing? Well, after they were arrested and they went to jail, I think it was they. they these guys got married. They got married. Some women. They're not allowed conjugal visits, but there was, you know, some women that were willing to marry uh, them. And I don't know if it was uh, Kyle or Eric. But uh, this woman married him And then she decided to break up with him When she found out that he was cheating While he was in jail (laughs) I found that amusing
1: Yeah That was uh, (laughs) That was uh, Definitely uh, As uh, Jason said uh, One of the most uh, Most watched trials uh, along with O.J. and Casey, and uh, I don't think you'll get any more of these big trials anymore because uh, they're just so big. I mean, they, can they think top Jody areas? I mean,
2: Yeah, you will get
1: them. You'll what get do you them. think, Jason? Do you think we'll ever get another high-profile case like this one or oh. Jody or...
7: I mean, here's what I tell people, and, you know, the things that I see day-to-day, one day if I ever decide to hang it up, I'll write a book, but nobody would believe me. They'd think it's pure fiction. I mean, we we talk and we hear about these high-profile cases, but the crazy things that go on day-to-day, yeah, I I do think we'll see something else like that. You know, of course, you know, whenever we have celebrities involved, look, you know, when Michael uh, Jackson died, look at the trial there with the doctor. I mean... Um, There's just, look, there's so many bizarre circumstances, and and let's be honest, you know why we're talking about this? Because the public has an appetite for it. And that's reality. Um, I think sensationalism, uh, I think there's a fascination with the legal system, um, and, and a righteous one at that. But I think that if the circumstances present, yes, there will be another three-ring circus, and we'll be right there talking about it. It's only a matter of time.
1: It's I so true. It's I absolutely. mean, the Jody Arias got so many people on the HLN network, and for all intents and purposes, after the trial was over, uh, they let go of a lot of people uh, via cut course. But uh, during that trial, Jody um, – a lot of people uh that came on television um well, not just they were you know a friend of, the, of Jody uh to, besides attorneys it was just everyone you know, one, one of the on most,
7: one of the most interesting things i um i was uh, doing a national television show and, and, and like in a lot of cities there satellite uplink facilities uh, so basically, I, I got news for you, everybody. When when you're seeing a cityscape behind us, it's just a green screen or a monitor, and it's a lockdown camera. But anyway, I was in this facility. It was during Super Bowl time in Phoenix, so a couple of years ago, and I was sitting in the green room waiting to pop into the studio. And who comes out? None other than Joe Theismann, uh, from wow. you know former quarterback from the Washington Redskins. And and first, let me just say, what a nice guy. I think he was on Fox Business promoting a product. And we just started chatting, and I introduced myself. He's like, oh, I, I know you, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about Jody Arias, if you don't mind. I'm like, am I really having this conversation with Joe Theismann? It was crazy. And, again, he was the absolute nicest guy in the world. But I I think, I mean, got I... You know, this trial, we we talk about it so much, but if we look at it from 30,000 feet looking down, um, the way it broke so many different barriers, you know, um, so many different facets of the community, everybody was just captivated by this. I mean, of course, there was an all-out media blitz, but there was a story to be told. Um, now, Now, the flip side is I think it's wonderful that there's so much exposure with trials because people really understand the legal system
2: uh... uh, in in ways
7: beyond their high school social studies classes which frankly is where a lot of people just leave off but i I think that um, televising trials and publicizing them i think it really brings it home and it gives a lot of insight and, and education to the process when you know we were on the air talking about various motions or legal arguments or jury instructions I I think it really enhances uh, people's understanding. Um, So I I think there's a good message, you know, once we strip away all all the fluff and the emotion. I I think there's a lot of good that comes from it, if we approach it in the right way.
1: No question. Okay, this is a very interesting story with these YouTube stars. Uh, They did something, and now they have... uh, Lost their kids. Here is the story. Of now, wild. with that new
8: fallout for the YouTube family whose extreme prank videos sparked a major backlash, and TJ Holmes has new details for us.
10: The videos caused a firestorm.
8: Cody!
4: Help me, I didn't do that!
10: Parents pulling pranks on their kids, screaming at them, causing them to cry hysterically. And the videos racked up millions of views. But the youngest two are Heather Martin's stepchildren. Now their biological mom has come forward, releasing her own video with her lawyer, announcing that Michael and Heather Martin have lost custody and the children are now in her care.
6: Emma and Cody are with me. I have emergency custody.
10: The mother's attorney says police and the court were instrumental in reuniting Hall with her children. One,
6: two, three.
10: The videos posted by the Martins on the popular Daddy of Five YouTube channel sparked a backlash. Many called the couple abusive. But last Friday, the Martins told us some of the videos were staged.
0: Some stuff is real. Some stuff was acted out, scripted.
10: Mike says deep down he just thought becoming a celebrity would make his kids proud.
2: And when my kids looked at me, I was was their hero.
10: For Good Morning America, TJ Holmes, ABC News, New York.
8: We have reached out to the Martins, and they are not commenting at this time. Our senior legal analyst, Sonny Hostin, joins us now with more.
1: Okay, let me start with you, uh, Alex uh, Sanchez. What's your take on this? And then we'll go to Jason.
2: Uh, You know, just to put it mildly, this guy's an absolute jerk. There's no question about it. To make the statement, I I thought, yeah, I think my... You know, you're going to mix up heroism with, you know, fame is unbelievable. And a lot of people do mix those up. A lot of people believe that just because a person is well-known or because they're famous or because they have some, you know, major achievement, this makes them automatic heroes. And they're not jerks anymore, but this guy's an absolute jerk. His kids should be taken taken away from them, or at least they should be, that family should be monitored. From what I saw of that tape, that was that was like torture. That was psychological torture of your own kids. One of the pranks they pulled was they would throw ink or disappearing ink on a rug, you know, and then they Man. would blame huh. the kids. Now, these are young kids. and start screaming at them, look what you did to the rug, and get these kids screaming and crying and trying to defend themselves, and I didn't do it, I did What kind of nonsense is that? What kind of... These kids don't even understand what being on YouTube is or being famous is. What the heck is this guy talking about? This guy should be slapped.
1: (laughs) Jason Lamb, what's your take on this uh, story?
7: Well, at a bare minimum, it represents extremely, extremely poor judgment. Now, I want to clarify for everyone, you know, the, the kids were basically taken away, and then the biological mom had emergency custody. We didn't hear anything about criminal charges. And there's a big difference, and I think it's important to point out. Um, generally speaking, family courts are going to always be looking at the best interests of the minor children. And in this case, right. it probably w- would be best for the kids to get a little space and maybe to get some psychological evaluation, or as, as Alex wisely said, some monitoring of the family. But it doesn't necessarily translate to to breaking a law and a prosecutor being able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, you know, taking it to that sort of level, you know, you just got to scratch your head and say. What the hell is wrong with you? Now, look, I'll admit it. You know, I have a good time giving my teenage daughters a hard time. One of the reasons I was a little late getting in tonight is uh, I was out with my daughters. It's one of their birthdays. And, you know, and you know, we mess with each other, and it's in, in, in good nature and good fun and in love. But when you hear kids screaming like that, you kind of got to wonder. And even if you're having your kid act that out, and a little kid, you got to, yeah. Say what 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 the hell is wrong with you? Is this, you know, let, let let them act out the three little bears or something at that age, not, you know, psychological torture.
1: Would you ever put them on YouTube or any uh, medium like that? Uh your kids?
7: No, we're we're actually very private with our kids. Um, you know, my wife was in television for many years and you know, we keep things very low key. Um, we're very, very guarded on social media. But, you know, for some people, and this is not – this is a general statement, they get validation through social media uh, and the Internet. Um, that's how they get a sense of accomplishment. Um, I mean, look, 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 you know, at the phenomenon. And I'll tell you, my teenage daughters on Instagram, you know, the, the value of a post is the number of likes that they get. Um, but I think it's a very, very different thing when we're dealing with adults, And yeah, you know, you know, you have the absolute constitutional right to be a dipshit, but when you have kids, it needs to stop, and you got to kind of step up your game a little bit and grow up.
1: No, there's no question about it, and the 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 way they uh, give out, you know, you need a license to drive. I always say, use this, you should have a license. To have kids I mean We spoke about the story Before you came on About the father uh, Who got 45 years Let me get your take on that uh, Since we didn't get your take on that uh, Chance boy um, The little kid And the I father mean, the, the, just the, got Yeah Well he he got whacked
7: um, and, and it's deservedly so You know the moms testifying against him but it's a long, arduous sentence. And, you know, these are the messages that, that need to be sent, um, that, you know, the, these are among the most heinous crimes. But at the same token, you've got to sit back and say, look, anyone who would even think about this, because everyone who's listening to this right now has got to be shaking their head, say, oh, my God, what's wrong with this guy? And, and that's just it. And that's where we've got to stop and say that there is something deeply and fundamentally wrong wrong in their brain. And believe me, the punishment is appropriate, and, you know, but you, as I always say to people, you can't rationalize irrational behavior. How do you wrap your brain around something like that?
1: It's, uh, it's so true. And uh, we also covered uh, Happy Days star Erin Moran. Uh, what was your take? Uh, 56 years old allegedly uh, was homeless in uh, 2012. Um, A lot of child stars, uh, you know, the situation is uh, nothing new. Exactly. You took
7: the words right out of my mouth. How many child stars have we seen over the years? You know, and some are, you know, fortunate enough that they're able to make a go of it. A lot of it, you know, is poor financial planning. We've seen Parents and guardians strip money away, but unfortunately, what happened with her—you know—we don't know all the circumstances. There were some serious health issues involved. Um, but 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 what a tragic ending to what started as such a wonderful career. And and let's also remember that you know the the, the dollar figures that are associated with Hollywood now much much higher than than back in the day. Um, yes. You know, I I have a personal acquaintance and relationship with someone who was a child actor and uh, on TV, I might add. And, yeah, there were some great trips, and, you know, the the family needed to sustain at a a certain level. And, unfortunately, um, you know, she's still paying off some law school loans, which I'm quite confident that her contract would have covered in a lot more. Now, fortunately, she's got a good career and able to go on. But um, it, it's not an uncommon story that
1: we hear. Unfortunately, it's true. OK, the former police officer uh,
4: who shot Walter Scott pleads guilty. Here's the story. Let's talk.: We
5: about move on tonight to that stunning about face, that guilty plea from a former police officer in a racially charged shooting death that made national headlines. The incident all caught on video. That's Officer Michael Slager chasing Walter Scott, firing eight times as Scott ran from him. ABC's Steve Ossensami in South Carolina tonight. For nearly two years, the officer seen in this traffic stop claimed that he did nothing wrong. But tonight, a stunning reversal. And for black Americans who worry about traffic stops like these, a sense of justice.
4: Today is a good day for justice. I thank God for justice.
5: The officer behind the gun, 35-year-old Michael Slager, now admits he wasn't defending himself when he shot 51-year-old Walter Scott in the back in 2015 and that he acted with specific intent to do something the law forbids. Saying those words in court that he's guilty now puts an end to both the federal and state trials against him.
9: Today is rare.
5: The Garners, the
9: bland. The Rice family, they didn't
5: get this type of justice that we got today. In state court. Slager explained that there was a violent fight that you didn't see in the cell phone video. I
4: fired until the threat was stopped. what I'm trying to do.
5: At sentencing later this year, prosecutors say they'll ask for hard time, 20 years. The Scott family would like life. David? Steve Wilson saw me with us tonight, Steve, thanks.
1: Okay, uh, let's uh, start off with uh, Alex Sanchez on this story, and then we'll go to Jason. Uh, be, uh, Michael Slager pleading guilty. Alex, uh, let, let me hear your take.
2: Well, first. No, first of all, I, I don't think he had any choice but to plead guilty.
1: <clears throat> that tape was
2: absolutely devastating. And uh, why he was acquitted, not acquitted, Why there was a mistrial the first time is a mystery to me. There was one juror that apparently refused to find him guilty. The guy shot eight times. I saw that tape. The guy was running away. He shot him in the back. And then it looked like he tried to plant a stun gun or try to plant some type of weapon on the guy because he walked up to the guy and threw something on the floor. So this guy was dirty from the word go. He could not possibly win this case in a retrial or in a federal trial. He was going down the tube. So he took the only course of action – that he could have taken in the case. But the question I have is, what on earth is going through this officer's mind when he stops this? I don't care if there was a violent fight or confrontation, which I don't believe there was, but if there was, once this guy started running away, why, why on earth did this officer, why did he feel compelled to shoot this guy in the back? It just tells you that there is improper training of certain police officers, and there are certain people that should not be in possession of weapons because they, the power begins to control all of their actions. The fact that somebody's running away from them and, and not obeying their commands to stop, they, it's almost like a person that is in, is, 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 is in the middle of a, 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 a highway and having a, a confrontation with another driver. They become crazy at that point. That's what happened with this cop. He saw a guy running away. The guy refused to stop, and it became a power game that he could not lose. But he did lose because he's going to be spending James. an awful lot of time in jail. Yeah,
7: James, I, I think Alex, take? I think Alex hit the nail on the head. Um, <clears throat> you know, look, just because you you know you have a badge and a gun. Um, doesn't mean that you don't have anger power and control issues and i think you know most typically you know take the cop thing out of it we see road rage cases where people are tussling uh and then the next thing you know one car is following the other and people are 50 miles away from where they started neither had any intention of going there and they just lock in but when it's a police officer with a a deadly weapon it's real dangerous. Now, I don't know what training, what vetting um, could root out every possibility. Of course, you know, police go through various psychological exams as part of the hiring and training process. Um, but, I, but I do think it's important to point out that this is a, an absolute slim minority of police officers out there. Unfortunately, they're the only ones that we're hearing about And that the overwhelming majority of police officers do want to help the job. They have good judgment. You know, it's a complicated and tough world. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this guy just just basically lost it, and and he'll be spending some prison time. The the one distinction that I want to make is that he pled to federal civil rights violations. And if we think back to uh, Rodney King, we remember... Uh, what happened with the officers when they were tried in Los Angeles, well, in Los Angeles Superior Court, although there was a change of venue. Um, you know, ultimately it was the feds that stepped in afterwards and prosecuted them on, on civil rights violations. That's what resulted in convictions. And as someone who right now is representing a law enforcement official uh, on uh, civil rights violations being prosecuted by the Department of Justice Um, fortunately it's not a fatality Um, these are very broad and sweeping laws that encompass a lot of uh, conduct so when this former officer is sentenced even if it's the 20 years that the government's going to be recommending yes he, he will get away with murder both literally and figuratively Because he would have done a whole lot more than 20, assuming it comes to fruition, if he was convicted on that murder charge.
2: Which is, I'm surprised, Jason, aren't you surprised that the state, because he was prosecuted by the state, and then the state essentially gave the case to the federal government. They didn't have to decline prosecution, the state. They could have said, we're going forward with this murder charge against the cop. We don't care what the feds are doing. But they... To me, it's almost like they wiped their hands clean. Oh, good, the feds are taking it. Let's get this political nightmare out of our system.
7: Well, I I think you're right, because, uh, and I don't know, and Alex, you can perhaps enlighten me with some wisdom. And for everyone listening, there's a couple different ways this could be happening, and Alex, please help us out. In light of the federal plea agreement, the conviction, if you would, the state case could be dismissed as part of the plea agreement or there could be some sort of plea in the state case with an agreement that any sentence runs concurrent or at the same time uh, as the one imposed in federal court. And that way, even though there is no additional time, um, there's still a mark of conviction, which is very important uh, for victims. So I, I don't know. Alex, help me out
4: if you've got well, any I, I
2: think that... You know, the, the two jurisdictions, the federal jurisdiction and the state jurisdiction, operate independently of each other, and just because he pleads guilty in the federal case, the feds don't have the authority to dismiss the state charges, and if he pleads guilty in the state case, the state doesn't have the authority to dismiss the federal charges. They're completely independent of each other. And more likely than not, though, they could work uh, in cahoots with each other where the feds could say, well, listen— if you will let you plead guilty to this civil rights charge, but then you have to go to state court and you have to plead guilty to that charge. And the state court agrees with this. In other words, the prosecutors in the state and the federal government are working hand in hand with each other. But one has no authority over the other in terms of how the case is going to be prosecuted. So I don't know why the state was in Carolina. I think it was the state of Carolina, right? I don't know why they Correct. did not. Say hey, you know, we're going forward with this. Yeah, money. We're going forward with this murder case. It happened in our jurisdiction. We have a rock solid case, and we're going after this man. I think more likely than not, you know the prosecutors decided. Listen, let's just wash your hands clean. Let him plead guilty to federal charges, and uh, let's get rid of this mess. And that's not prosecutors do that all the time. They want to clean their plate, get rid of cases. That's what they did here. Thank.
7: Well, I think it's also an, but it's also an interesting um, precedent, you know, under under Jeff Sessions, Uh, and I'm not saying it's the first prosecution um, of of a police officer, but you know, he made a very public statement about holding law enforcement officers accountable in cases where they violate the civil rights of others. Now, you know, that's a uh, that that's a great talking point from the Imperial Wizard. However um it's another thing to put oh that wasn't lost on you nice um but uh, you know um this is the kind of thing that that does have uh political implications that you know the justice department can stand tall and say look you know we we're we're walking the walk um so it, it, it will be interesting on a broader scale to see how the current administration, and specifically the Justice Department, um, proceeds. Personally, I, I, I think, you know, obviously the current administration is very pro-law enforcement, whereas um, under the previous administration, it's not to say that they weren't pro, pro-law pro enforcement, but they were much more scrutinizing uh, of officers' actions. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. We'll have to read those tea leaves.
1: No question, and Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Tell people, uh, my audience, uh, where they could find you. Uh, maybe you have a Twitter that you want to mention or a website.
7: Well, sure. The first thing is you can find me on the basketball court or a bar or at six in the morning hiking on a mountain. But other than that, you oh, can really? find me on Twitter. PHX <laughs> Criminal Att'y. PHX Criminal Att'y. Reach out. Love to uh, interact with people. Let me know what's on your mind
1: and uh, you won a nice uh, big case uh about a month ago right
7: well that was actually uh time flies jordan that was actually about a year ago there was a very high profile <laughs> uh series of freeway shootings it was the i10 freeway shootings in phoenix that was a, that that occurred um in late august of 2015 and my client was charged in 4 of those 11 shootings. Um, all char- very high-profile case, made local news, national news for quite a period of time, brought a lot of terror on the city. And, and I'm really proud to say that we put together one hell of a, a dream team, and all charges against him were dismissed. And I want to be clear, it's not on a technicality. We proved that the evidence was not there, and they had the wrong guy. And, you know, when you get it right, um, it just feels so good because the last thing we want is an innocent person sitting there facing life as he was. Um, So that was a real gratifying outcome. His name is Leslie Merritt, Jr. That's a real easy thing to Google, and, you know, people can read a lot more about it. It was was really fascinating, and now we're involved in some civil litigation uh, against uh, the local county and the state of Arizona. And uh, I won't say anything other than its proceeding.
1: And you won't have to deal with that. Uh, what's his name? That 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 sheriff anymore? That resigned. Well, uh, our, 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 what's his name? Oh, oh, oh,
4: all not
7: so good
1: our pile. All
7: not so good things must come to an end. So uh, <laughs> our sheriff of many a years is He's a character indeed. Um, his pink underwear and his uh, tent city—that—that—that's all kind of fading out. There is a new sheriff in town, not to be cliche. I, I will say that uh, you know, Big Mouth Joe Arpaio—he was very popular and he was a—he uh, was quite the character in front of the camera. But I've had many opportunities to visit with him one-on-one, and I assure you, it's a much more demure individual. Uh, and there is a new sheriff in town, very experienced, former uh, sergeant of the Phoenix Police Department, and he's uh, he's really got tight reins. And uh, you know, I, I know it's fun to watch, but if it's all the same to you guys, we're just going to stay out of the news out here for a while.
1: No question. Okay, you enjoyed that birthday party, and uh, uh, happy birthday to your uh, little uh, daughter there, and uh, many more. So thanks, thanks for uh, joining
4: it's us. It's always speak. a
7: pleasure to to be on with you. Thank you. Jordan, thank you. thank you. Alex, so good to be on with you. Oh, and uh keep keep Let's fighting the good again. fight. Look forward Let's to it. Let's do
1: this again, the
7: three of us. Look forward to it. Bye bye.
1: Okay, Alex, thanks so much for uh coming on the show. Uh oh, I like it's a lot you and Jason together. A very good combination. Yeah, He's a very good lawyer I read about that case And
2: he really did do a dynamite job on that There's no question about it So he's one of the top lawyers around So I was very impressed with, uh, with how he handled that matter So I'm very happy to be on the same show with him But it's always yeah, great to be yeah. on the show You know, I, I, I really enjoyed being on the topics. radio I, I enjoyed being on the radio with you, I don't, you know, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to speak to any of your, your great callers there tonight but,
1: uh, oh like Sarah Kardashian a lot
2: of fun. Oh yeah I was expecting her to call Usually Mary, calls you know, in Mary you know, The usual crowd That is very much interested in, in The justice system And they ask some great questions Anyway uh, Jordan
1: uh, But you are, you are, are one of again? the best that they asked for uh, hey, My just, whole uh, I'm
2: just a, I'm just a little guy from the Bronx Practicing criminal law. That's who I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we're from New York, both of us. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, It might be a little costly, but but there's nothing like New York. Once you leave it, you want to come back. (laughs)
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Okay, Alex, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk soon.
2: All right, pal. Good night. Bye.
1: Okay. That was Alex Sanchez, uh, who did a wonderful job. Uh, We went over uh, a lot of great stories tonight. Um, The Menendez brothers, 27 years later. um, The uh, former South Carolina police officer who pleaded guilty in the uh, fatal shooting that was caught on video. Um, The Happy Days star, Aaron Moran. Um... Uh, who passed away at the uh, young age of 56 the youtube stars um, you should look this up uh, they lost custody of uh, their children um, we took the uh, we we uh, we spoke about that the father of baby chance sentenced to 45 years uh, terrible terrible story but uh I think uh, we did a uh, Good, solid job from A to Z. Also, want to remind you, uh, you could mark down on your calendars. May twenty, what is it? May twenty-fifth. We'll have Beth Karras, Tom Meserol either on the eighteenth or the first week in June. I have no idea yet. Um, and uh, we'll uh, also have Alex back. And uh, more to come. Also, let me uh, give some shout outs to Doreen, Vicky, Phyllis, Pager, Maddie. Uh, thank you for all your support. You guys are wonderful. Also, uh, let's see here. So, uh, please follow uh, the show, King Jordan R.A.D. And uh, thank you for everybody who supports the show. Uh, Alex does a wonderful job. Um, Just to let you know that anytime I need him, he's always there. So let me give him that shout out. Okay, let's uh, leave you with on a throwback Thursday. uh, This is one of my favorite songs that my mom got me into. It's called The uh, Wind Beneath by Wings by Bette Midler. We'll leave you with that, and uh, have a good night. We'll talk next time here on King Jordan Radio.